in Mark chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 45. The text will go all the way to verse 56. In just a moment, I'm actually going to read that. I don't do that every time together, but I'm going to read that whole passage for us together so you can hear the whole story as it's related in the gospel. But I want to begin by just uh, to get, kind of give you some, some preliminary thoughts on this to get your, your mind in this place. I think I just, we heard Denise just talk just before that song about some of the things we talked about and prayed about on Wednesday night. It, it might be, it might not be, I don't think it's a secret that you know that I want to see God work. I think I've made that point clear to some of you, very vocal about that. Especially if you've been here on Wednesday night, that's something I'm praying about, is we want to see God work. You can put the term revival on it if you want to. You can put whatever words you want on it, you want to put on it. But I just want to see God doing something. Um, I want to see people saved and I want to see lives transformed. I want to know that what I'm doing, God is directing it. I'm not just doing what I want to be doing. I'm saying that about me. That, that's been my prayer since 2005. I've been actually seeing God, you use me or not, but I just want to see you to work. But since then, I've actually seen Him work in me. Um, around that time, He called me to be a preacher of the gospel. And I surrender to that call. Since that time, I, I believe, and I'll just give my own assessment here, others can judge, but I believe that He's given me a real love for the Lord Jesus Christ. A love that really, while I might have loved Him in concept, I love Him as a person now in a way that I had been loved before. He's given me a love for His Word and for His church. He's opened doors for me to serve His church and, of course, for him, serve Him as well. I've seen him work in very personal ways as well, seeing him in difficult times be with me, working with me, holding my hand, my wife and my children, seeing things happen in our own family. I've seen him work in others too. I remember when I was pastoring a church on the south side of Winston-Salem called Crestview Baptist Church. It was one of my first experiences as a pastor and... I got to see something I never expected to see and I will never get over is some men, and, or two men in particular, who saw, they, 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 they died, they, they, they faced death. And I saw God give these men grace, dying grace, in a way that I, I can't even, I can't describe to you. I remember Jerry Williams, I talk about, I think about Jerry Williams all the time. He was a small church, so it's kind of like this, we had just this, these pews over here. He would sit all the way on the back row, just right on that very back row in the corner there. He didn't talk a whole lot, didn't say a whole lot, but he liked my preaching. If anybody likes my preaching, I like them. And uh, he liked my preaching. He said, you're the best preacher I ever heard. I said, I like you, Jerry. Uh, but, uh, but, but Jerry, he was a good man, uh, real quiet. He would admit to you he wasn't very educated, but he, he, he grew. And I saw that happen because that was God working. I see those things. I, I could say that Jerry Williams is one. Another one is Mary Watterson, a godly woman at, at uh, McConnell Road Baptist Church. I saw her face death. And that, you, you, you never, you, you've not, that's a weird thing to say, but you've not lived until you've seen a saint. I'm talking about a real saint of God who knows the Lord, loves the Lord, facing the last moments of their life. And here's a woman who could barely breathe. I remember going and seeing her in that, 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 that assisted care facility. She could barely breathe. She was literally struggling for breath. And she would tell me, I'm here for a reason, Matthew. Whatever the Lord has for me, I'm ready to do it. 
up until the very last minute. And that's God working in somebody's life. You understand? That's what I'm talking about. I've seen them spark interest, spiritual interest in people. I've also seen them expose devils for who they are. God does that too. That's how He works sometimes. He shows you some people what they're really about. Sometimes He works in small ways, and sometimes He works in big ways. Sometimes He doesn't work the way I want Him to work, but He's always working. He's always working. He's working in ways that, I mean, if I'm really step back and I think I had a conversation, I think it was on Friday night with somebody, and they were talking to me about how God is working in some ways, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. God's actually doing it even here, right now, in our front of our very eyes. He's doing some things. He's working. He's working. But I just want to let you know that I've seen Him work. Some of y'all can say you've seen Him work too. But my faith is really, really weak. It's so weak. My faith is so weak. I believe you believe that God is strong. Do y'all believe God's strong? I, I believe y'all believe that God is faithful and that He loves you. I believe that. I do believe you believe that. But I imagine that many of you, but I won't say this is all of you, there's probably a few of you who got some strong faith, but a lot of us, our faith is a lot weaker than it ought to be. And this morning, I want to remind you of a simple truth that's already up on the board there. God's going to do it again. He's not done by any means. We're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 6, but all the way back a couple of chapters in Mark chapter 4, verses 36 to chapter 5, verse 1, there's a, an incident that's occurring there that's virtually, in a lot of ways, identical to the one that we're about to read. Jesus puts His disciples in a boat. He's with them, even though they don't feel like He's with them. There's a storm that comes up, but Jesus is in control. He overwhelms the natural order of things, and He delivers His promise. He told them on the one side of the water, we're going to get to the other side, and they get to the other side. That's exactly what happens in Mark chapter 4. Since then, Jesus has continued to show His power. In chapter 5, He delivers a demon-possessed man from the demonic possession. In chapter 5, later on, He brings a young woman back to life, a little girl who's dead, and Jesus brings her back to life. On His way to resurrecting that woman, that young lady, there's another woman who's in the street and she's got some kind of a, a blood disorder and she touches Jesus' garment and she heals, literally as she's passing through. And then at the end of all that, he comes out in a desert. We're talking about in the desert. He goes out in the desert and he sees 5,000 plus people with nothing more than five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. And now, in verse 45, we pick it up. He is constraining. He is forcing his disciples to get into another ship to cross the same sea. And he's about to do it again. I want you to see that. I want to ask you, if you're able to, you don't have to if you're not able to, but I want to ask you to stand out of reverence to the reading of the Lord's Word. We're just going to read this passage beginning in verse 45. We're going to read down to the end of the chapter in verse 56. Would you follow along, please? Here's what the Lord said, the Lord's Word says. And straightway, He, this is Jesus, constrained His disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while He sent away the people. And when He had sent them away, He departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, so it's nighttime now, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and He alone on the land. And He saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, 
And about the fourth watch of the night, so this is early, 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 three to six o'clock in the morning, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. And when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of the cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And when he went up unto them into the ship, and the, the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for the heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. All the people that they met knew him. And ran through the whole region round about, began to carry about in the beds those that were sick. And they heard he what where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the street and besought him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we've read your word. We're going to take a few minutes to talk about it. I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict us, that your Holy Spirit will encourage us, that your Holy Spirit will illuminate our understanding so that we can see your hand at work. We're asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. First thing I want you to know, Jesus is going to do it again, but I want you to see this in this passage. First thing is that Jesus is fully and completely aware of the situation. Do those know this. He is fully and completely aware of the situation. He insisted, verse 45 says he constrained them. That that word constrained, it means what you think it means. It means he, he said, Y'all get in the boat. I'm not going to take no for an answer. He's forcing them in that. He is insisting that they go. He's saying, I want you to go into this boat. It's his plan. He knows what's about to happen. You do know that Jesus is God, right? He's not surprised by anything that's about to happen. He knows exactly what's about to occur. So he's saying, I want you to get in the boat because I've got something I want you to endure, I want you to experience. He knows that. Now, he also knows that he's going to meet up with them later. (laughs) He's just going to take the other route. He's going to walk across the water. They're going to take the boat. But he's going to meet up with them later. That's his plan. He's going to do that. But he needed, for his purpose, he needed some time to pray. Now, one of the things you need to understand just for the context, I think it's interesting to note that the, the feeding of the 5,000, which happens just before this, happens because Jesus and his disciples are going out in the desert, and they're going out for a retreat, a spiritual retreat. They're going out there to pray a little bit, spend some time out there. So they get out there, and everybody finds out they're out there, so they all flood them. You've got 5,000 people in the middle of the desert and trying to follow Jesus around, and they get hungry because of the people. That's what happens. But Jesus, of course, miraculously feeds them. But the point of telling you that is that his spiritual retreat got interrupted. And Jesus said, i got stuff to do. i got business with the Father. I need to handle this. Y'all go on. That's what he's telling them. So he's getting back to this. I do think it's important to know that when Jesus prays, he's not praying for himself. He's praying for you. In John chapter 17, I think it was mentioned this morning in the worship time, but Jesus it was actually it was Crystal, I think it was, that mentioned in the, the children's service. That's what it was. He was talking about Jesus praying that we had unity. Remember who was talking about that? This is what Jesus does in his prayer. He's praying that there's unity among his people. He's praying for us. 
in, in, in Romans chapter 8, it says that Christ is at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. Do you know that Jesus right now is praying for you? But coming back to this story, who's he about to pray for? He's about to pray for those guys he got in the boat. He said, I want y'all to get in the boat because I've got to go pray for you. I need a minute to pray for you. That's what he's about to do. But I want you to notice in verse 47, it says there that, that evening comes, so it's night. So he went up into the mountain to pray, verse 46. Verse 47, it's nighttime. Now the ship is in the midst of the sea, and it says that he alone is on the land. Now I want you to think about this. Here's the, the disciples in the middle of the water, so it's at the Sea of Galilee. So, you know, think of a, a really big lake, essentially. That's what we're kind of thinking about. But they're in the middle of this thing, this big old lake, and Jesus is on the land. All I'm trying to get you to get a picture in your mind is they're not together. They're far apart from each other. For all intents and purposes, they're far apart from each other. Now, in verse 48, it says that they're toiling and rolling. The wind's contrary to them. There's a lot of, there's a storm there. And they feel alone because Jesus is not with them. Where's Jesus? He's on the land. Where are they? They're on the sea. There's distance. But despite the fact that there is distance between Jesus and and these people, look at what it says there in verse 48. And he saw them. Do you see that? Who? What is Jesus doing? He's on the on the on the land. He's praying for them. He's far from them. But what is he doing? He sees them. He knows exactly what they're dealing with. He knows exactly where they are. He is with them, literally with them in spirit, because he sees them even though he is not with them. What I'm trying to get you to understand about this is that Jesus understands what you're going through right now. You're in the middle of whatever it is you're in the middle of, and you feel alone. I want you to know that Jesus knows what you're in the middle of. He's not surprised by it. In fact, it's probably part of His plan. He probably even sent you down this path in some some, some degree. Now, please understand there's a limit to what I'm saying here. God, God didn't ask you to go sin. If you did that, that's on you. But I'm talking about some circumstance of life some situation that you're in, he knows exactly where you are. And in fact, it might have well been his plan to put you down that path because he's got something he's working on with that. I don't always understand. We were talking before the service with uh, one of y'all, and, and, and he was saying that you, that you just want to hear from God. And I agree with that. I want to hear from God. I don't always, I don't know what he's up to. What are you doing, God? But he's up to something and he's working and he's on it. But he understands what you're dealing with. There's no temptation that you'll ever face that God doesn't understand. In fact, we understand that Jesus is a high priest that was, was touched with our feeling of infirmity. He was in all points tempted like we are, but without sin. He is perfect and righteous in every way, but there is nothing you'll ever face that He doesn't understand. He knows the temptation. He knows the bondage that some of you are under, the addictions that you're having to struggle with. He understands it. He knows what you're feeling. He gets it. And you say, well, Jesus never sinned. Yeah, I know. I don't know how that works, but he figured it out. He knows exactly what you're dealing with, yet he's never sinned. He felt it. He knows the sickness. He knows the pain that you're enduring. He knows the heartache. He knows that heartache. There is no heartache that he cannot sympathize with. Somebody hurt you. It was not your fault. Somebody came into your life and destroyed something. Somebody messed something up. God knows exactly what that feels like. He understands what you're dealing with. There's no circumstance that he'll ever catch him by surprise. 
And He can and He will redeem every situation that you're going to be in. No matter what that is, He can and He will. I'm trying to get you to see that He's fully aware of your personal situation. He is fully aware of these disciples in the middle of the sea. He is fully aware of what you are enduring and what you're going through. The second thing I want you to see, though, is not only is He fully aware, but He is absolutely active in your situation as well. He's not just seeing that He saw them. <laughs> kind of like some of us riding down the, the highway and we see a, a big wreck on the other side of the interstate. And we saw it. Man, I hate it for him as we zoom on down the highway. We're not going to do anything. In fact, it's probably better we don't get involved because we have no idea what we're doing. We want the professional handle it. But the point is, that's not the way Jesus is. He's not there just seeing it moving on down the road. He's not just seeing it and watching them struggle. He gets involved in their struggle. I, one of the things that I pray often, and you may have noticed it as I pray publicly here, but I often pray is I want the Lord to get involved in the situation. I want to know He's present in it. Because this is where, this is when He can start doing some stuff. And I can sit there and say, Lord, I want it to be better. But Lord, I don't just want it to be better. I want you to get involved and I want you to make it better. That's the distinction that I think is important. But see, the disciples here in verse 48, they're in trouble. They're, they're rowing. They're, they're, they're toiling. He says the, the wind's contrary. And it's now the fourth watch of the night. So we think this is probably about 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. Sometime in that, that the, the early hours of the morning. Those times that, that regular folk uh, are sleeping. Most folks are sleeping here in that place. But I am. I know some of your jobs don't allow you to do that. But I like to be asleep between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning if I can help it. Uh, if I can help it, I'll try to do that. But the point is that it's very early, and they are storm-tossed, and they are alone out here in the middle of the sea. But that's when it says that Jesus comes in. Look what he says in verse 49. Uh, let's go back in verse 48. He says, And he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Now, the would have passed by them does not mean that he missed them. That's not what that means. The, the King James English is a little different here. Is where we have to understand what he means by that is that he, it's like, I'm going to, I might come by your house. It doesn't mean I'm going to pass your house. It means I'm going to your house. Coming directly to you. That's what it says there. He would have passed by them, meaning he's on his way to them. He's aiming for them. He's going directly to them. The point of this is to simply say that Jesus doesn't wait on anything but the need to occur. And when the need occurs, he shows up. Jesus doesn't let any obstacle get in the way, but what he does is he overcomes those obstacles and goes directly to the need. From a human perspective, there's no way he can help them. They're in the middle of the water. He's on the land. As far as I can tell, he doesn't have a boat that is available to him. So what does he do? He overcomes all of those obstacles, and he does, as Job says, he treads on the water. He literally steps on the ocean. He doesn't let that bother him. I can tell you, if y'all were out in the middle of the ocean and you were drowning, I would have to say, let me call somebody. I can't help you. I can't. You don't want me to help you because I'll drown in the process. But when Jesus sees these people out in the middle of the ocean, that's not an obstacle to him. It's merely something to walk over. He treads on the water. He treads on that and he comes directly to them. There's no obstacle that is too great. But when he does come to them, I want you to see in verse 49, when they see him walking on the sea, they suppose it had been a spirit. They thought it was a ghost. Oh my goodness, what is this ghost out here? Who's going to get us? We think there's something out here about to get us. They're worried about it. They think it's something to be feared. And we can laugh about that. We say, my mind, I'm kind of like, ha ha, these guys are just, they're being crazy. But I know in the middle of my trouble, 
Everybody's out to get me. Everything is after me. Everything is against me. Everything seems to be stacked against my situation. But when you understand that we have trouble, but it's actually Jesus that's coming, because look what he says there. He immediately talks to them. He knows they're, they're upset. So immediately he talks to them, and he says, Be of good cheer, it is I be not afraid. He says, It's going to be okay. Be of good cheer. It's going to be all right. Y'all get happy. Time to get happy. I'm here. He says, He says, your God is here. I am here. I am here. I am God, and I am here. Don't be afraid anymore. Stop being afraid. What I'm trying to get you to see with this is that Jesus is always intimately involved with what's going on. He's not going to leave you alone in your struggle. I know that for a fact that He will not leave you alone in your struggle. But I feel like I need to say this right now. You likely feel alone in your struggle. And I want to go ahead and tell you, I'll go on record and say, you're not crazy. It feels like you're alone. The disciples, in fact, if they thought they were so alone, that the only thing that could possibly be out there was some kind of a spirit, a ghost or something. That's what they thought. It feels like sometimes you're in the middle of your circumstance, whether it is a storm of life, or whether it is a storm of your own making, I've done enough, enough of those myself. Where I've created the crisis, the sin, or the foolishness. But whatever that reason is, you feel like you are out there all by yourself and you're slapping in the wind. I want you to know this. Your feelings don't help you in these circumstances. But I want you to know this, that Jesus is right there in the middle of that circumstance. You don't feel it. And I want you to know, you're going, Matthew, I don't feel it. There's something wrong with me. No, that means you're a human being. It means you're normal. But you need the reassurance that the Bible gives us that God is in the middle of what you're working on. I can say, and y'all seen me with, I mean, some of y'all, actually, y'all, some of y'all worried about me on it. And I appreciate it because I think some of y'all think I'm, I'm, I'm about to lose my mind on some of this about trying to see God work. And I think, I, pre- I really do appreciate your concern. Because I feel this way a lot where I want to see God do something. And I feel like, where are you at, God? I'm trying everything I can. I'm trying. And you're not there. Where are you? But I want to remind Matthew, God is right in the middle of the circumstance. He's already there. And He's doing what He's supposed to be doing. He's involved in this. My job is to cry out to Him. God, please help me. God, please help me. He's asking when I cry out to him, I want to tell you what he does is he does answer. He may not answer the way I want him to answer. He may answer in a way that I never expected him to answer. Sometimes he answers through other people. Sometimes he answers through a verse of Scripture. Sometimes he answers through a song. Sometimes he answers through a circumstance. But the point is that God will speak in his time, in his way, that he will let you know he's right there. He will say, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. That's what he does. And can I give you one more thing on that? Even if you don't cry out to God, some of y'all are just stubborn you don't. Aren't we stubborn sometimes? I, well, I'm, I, I'm stubborn sometimes. Just ask the message. They'll tell you. We're so stubborn sometimes we won't even cry out to God and ask you. But I want to assure you, even in those circumstances, He's working on you. He's still working. 
He's so loving and so gracious to do that anyway. Even though we're, we sit there and say, no, wait, God, I got this. I got this. I'll, I'll struggle through this by myself. You think he's not working. He's working. He's still working. He's fully involved in this situation. And I want to tell you all right now, I don't like to say this, this phrase, apart from the fact that God himself says it, and it's taking what Jesus said and applying it to it. It's going to be okay. I don't like to say that to people because sometimes they don't feel like it's going to be okay. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus said it's going to be okay. He says, he's here. He says, he's got the answer. That's what he says. I'm just going to take him at his word. My job is to hold on and look up follow Jesus. Third point I want to get you to see in this story is not only is he aware of the situation, not only is he active in the situation, but Jesus has authority over the situation. He gets in the boat with them in verse 51. Don't you see this? He says, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. Jesus got in the boat, and the storm stopped. Now, I know in some other incidences that, 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 that similar stories are told, it talks about him speaking to the waves, but I like the way Mark says it. He just gets in the boat and he stops. Some version of that's what happens. That Jesus gets near that boat, he gets in that boat, he steps on that boat, and it all stops. I want you to understand that what is going on here is that nature itself is bowing before its master. It sees the Lord of creation, and they say, I think he wants us to stop now. We should do that. We're going to do that. That's what we're going to do. You need to understand that Jesus has power over everything. Let me say that again. He's got all power over all things. There is nothing that is outside of his control. You know that everything exists, he made. I mean, literally everything. He made time. Time is the thing that God made. You are something God made. Your health is something that is in God's hands. Your finances, everything that exists is in God's control because He made it. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Did you know your feelings, your emotions were created by God? That means they're not necessarily bad, but it means they're in His control. Invisible and visible. Those things were created by Him and for Him, and that He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Everything stays together. Everything is held together because He wants it to. Jesus is so powerful, He even has power over power. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says that there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. You may say, well, he's got power, but he doesn't, you know, I don't know what this Putin fellow's going to do, or what President Biden's going to do, or what Congress is going to do, or what, okay. You know who put them there? Who put those people who's got them under his thumb? It is the God that we're talking about. He's the one that is in control of all of this. And you know what? If he's got power over them, he definitely has power over sin and death and hell. In fact, in this story, one of the things you might miss, and I want to make sure you don't miss this, is that the water, and this is something that comes through Mark, all the way back to Mark chapter 1, when Jesus himself is baptized in water, that water is an emblem, it's a symbol of the judgment of God. 
And what Jesus is doing is He is saving these people from God's wrath and God's judgment. It's a nice image there. And it's, again, it's consistent through Mark. You go back and study it yourself. You'll see what I'm talking about. But He is saving them out of that. He is taking them out of the wrath, out of the destruction, out of the judgment that threatens to overwhelm them and threatens to swallow them up. He plucks them out of it. He takes them out, takes care of it. That's what Jesus does. But I want you to understand that your circumstances, the sin that you've done, death that is looming, the destruction that you deserve, all of those things are under God's control. Because while John the Revelator saw Jesus and saw that on his his thigh he had a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the one that's in control. It means he's got power to fix everything. You go back to this story, just even in the, the, the six chapters up to the point where we've read, you'll see that Jesus is going around healing sick people. He's going around opening blind eyes, raising the dead. And you know what those are all examples of? Small little pieces of pictures of is God coming into this world and returning everything to the right order. Fixing everything, reorienting everything. There's a book I'm reading right now called Gentle and Lowly, and one of the quotes out of it says that miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but a restoration of the natural order. We are so used to the fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. But in fact, they are the interruption. And what Jesus is doing is saying, this world is so messed up that we're so used to how messed up it is. He's coming in here and He's surprising us and shocking us and doing things we never thought was possible. You know when some of y'all have given testimony that God healed you of cancer or God has, has repaired a relationship or God saved you from death, hell, and the grave, when you can give those testimonies, you know what that is? That is not God coming in and saying, whoop, this is the way normally things are, and we'll change how normal things are. No, no. He's saying everything is so messed up, I'm coming in, I'm going to fix it the way it's supposed to be. You know we were made in the image of God. I think y'all need to listen to what I'm saying. Y'all need to hear me that we were made in the image of God. We were not made to die. We were not made to hurt. We were not made. We were not made to get messed up in sin and, and addiction. That's not the way we were created. It is sin that has come in and disrupted us from the bottom of our feet to the top of our head. And we need a Savior to come in who has authority over all of it to say, "Here's how it needs to go. I'm going to make that crooked stick straight. I'm going to go fix that thing that's broken. Not because broken is the way it's supposed to be." The way it's not supposed to be. The way it's supposed to be is in line with God. He is the one that is in charge. And let me just tell you this, he's got a lot more plans. Some of us, myself included, we're sitting here looking at our little circumstances. At best, we're looking out two, three, four years. I just want what's going on right now to be fixed. You know what God has planned? God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Here I'm sitting here, and I just want the pain to be a little less. He says he's going to take your tears away. He says he's going to make sure there's no more death. Some of us are grieving over a loved one, and I'm not trying to trying to get on your case for that. That's right and proper to grieve those that we've lost. But he's saying, you're, don't, don't be so worried about grieving that one loved one. I'm going to make it so death is literally, as he says in Timothy, abolished. 
It is no more. It is not a thing anymore. He is going to wipe it away. He's going to make it so there's no more pain. And I think he's talking about pain, yes, in our bodies, but I think he's talking about pain in our hearts, too. He said he's going to make it so there's no more pain. For all the former things are passed away. He says, Behold, I make all things new. This is what God has done. Some of us are sitting in our circumstances and we're saying, God, would you please fix this thing and this thing and this thing? And I think we're missing that he's already working on it, first of all. And we just need to trust him a little more, a lot more than we do. Second of all, we're sitting here, as C.S. Lewis talks about, making mud pies by the river when we've got this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful future ahead of us. We've got something so much better. So much better. <laughs> you ever have a problem at a store? Maybe you're turning something back to the store and they won't work with you. Can I speak to your manager? Who's you to fix this for me? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all. Maybe we can tell who's, who's those kind of people, but uh, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I need somebody who can fix this for me. Well, I, you know, let me see what I can do. I want you to know that Jesus is fully authorized to deal with your circumstances. You don't need to speak to his manager. He's, he's, he's the top of the line. He's got it all. Whether it's now or in the future, he is the only one with the power that he has. In the time that I have left, I want to tell you, you need to trust Jesus to do it again and again and again and again. The disciples were told in verse 50, don't be afraid. They're in the middle of their circumstances, don't be afraid. And he was telling them that on the basis of the fact that he had done that before. Chapter 4, if you go back to chapter 4, they're in the middle of the ocean again, middle of the water again, and he's, he's done it. He's done it before. He's like, guys, don't you remember we've been through this before? We've done this before. Don't worry, I'm here like I was before. I'm doing it. Suppress me. He even says in verse 52, he says, they have not considered the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Even though they had been through the exact same circumstance, they have, even they, you could say, well, that, that has been a while, so maybe they forgot about it. Well, they were minutes before this, or hours before this had happened, they were watching Jesus taking a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish and feeding thousands of people with it. Again, I mocked them a little bit, but I have to say, Matthew, why are you doing the exact same thing? We just saw Jesus save a young boy that walked through the waters of baptism because some people were faithful enough to share the gospel with him. Because, surprise, surprise, that's what the Bible says. That's how it's supposed to work. We tell people they get saved. That's what it says. And I'm sitting up here getting excited. Woo, they get it. Somebody got saved. And he's like, no, that's what Jesus does. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Y'all literally just saw that minutes before this service started. You just saw that. And you know what? Jesus can do it again. He can do it again for your children, for your grandchildren, for those nephews that, just, that they're far from God, those nieces that, that when their, their parents won't bring them to church. You know those people. They, Jesus can save those people. But simple faith in Jesus is always rewarded. I want you to see this briefly. And I, I do have to close, but I want to show you this. In verse 53, after they, they pass over, they get over to the other side. In verse 54, they get out of the ship, and everybody knows him. But see what happens here. They ran through the whole region, and they're carrying people in with, that are sick people because they heard where Jesus was. And it says, Whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or countries, they laid the sick in the streets and besought that they might touch 
it if it were but the border of his garment. They said, listen, we're looking for Jesus. We're eagerly chasing after Jesus. And they're begging for his help. Even if it's just a touch of God. And look what happens here. As many as touched him were made whole. What's the song? When Jesus passed by, oh, what a difference. When Jesus passed by. Everywhere he goes, every kind of ailment, every kind of trouble, he comforts, he helps, he strengthens and encourages. I want to just encourage you today to look for, reach out, and touch the Savior. He's already right there. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He's not surprised by it. I think some of us think he's going to be, you know, oh, he doesn't understand what I'm dealing with. No, he knows. He knows. He just, you just need to, in faith, reach out to him and ask for his help. He's already working. You want to make sure we're all clear on this? You can sit there and be all bullfrog if you want to. I don't need to ask nobody for nothing. He's already helping you. He's already working on it. But I want you to know that it'll help you if you'll reach out to Him. It'll help you if you'll get a little bit of faith in your heart and ask Him for more than you got. It'll help you. It'll change your life. He'll forgive your sins and remove your condemnation. He'll give you peace that passes understanding. He'll run the devil off. He'll release you from that bondage that you're in right now. He'll satisfy your soul deep as long as He'll heal those physical and those emotional pains that you're struggling with. He'll shine the light of understanding into the darkness of your mind. Man, I sure would like that myself. He'll give you a new heart, make you a new creation. The Bible tells me He'll do more than you can ever ask for. He'll take you out of that miry pit, set you on solid ground, and say, Go back to what he'll do. That's what he'll do.